Johnny Turnstone is a Harrisburg-based indie rock artist. His new single, I've Been to the Dungeon Before, is an epic, moody, but catchy piece of music that features guest vocals from Jessica Boyer and violin from Robin Chambers, out now on all streaming platforms. Ronnie on Saturn, a pop artist from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, just released his debut single titled Breathe In This Love. This single is available on all streaming platforms. Follow Ronnie at R-O-N-N-I-E on Saturn on all social media platforms. Or check out his website, www.withkoji slash Ronnie on Saturn. Can't deny it, this feeling I got for you, babe. Good morning, everybody. My name is, well, it's afternoon now. It's afternoon now, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Corey Rosen, and you are listening to the Story Podcast. Today, I have on a super awesome guest, Mr. Dan Meyer. Got it. From engineering and multi-million dollar recording studios and music venues to the classroom, Dan has worn many hats during his short time in the music industry. Originally from the suburbs of Philly, Dan grew has Dan grew Dan has dug his roots in. Central VA, graduating from York College of Pennsylvania in 2016, he quickly returned to manage the college's new recording studio and organically transitioned into teaching their music production courses. Through his academic years, he jumped at every opportunity and grew a network of industry professionals in the area that opened up several doors. While his first love will always be mixing songs that inspire him and working with artists in the studio, he is no stranger to the live events side of music. Dan is an example of how building organic relationships can lead to a sustainable career in an otherwise competitive and arguably oversaturated industry. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We have a, we've had a, a lot to talk about before yeah. uh, we started this, so I'm really excited to dive deep into uh, all of those topics. But first, we got to start with where you began. Where did your love of music start? Um... Like that's such a low question. I go on forever. I'll try to do the, the concise version. Um, so I grew up in Philly, as you already noted. Uh, my dad is a singer-songwriter, so I always kind of grew up around music, at least. Um, how I got into playing it myself is kind of funny, but, you know, I was like nine at the time, so it, it, it tracks for a nine-year-old. But basically, um, my school, every year, the band would go to Hershey Park for, like, the Cavalcade mm-hmm. Music Festival, whatever it is. I, I don't remember. Um, and I was like, oh, I get to miss school for a day and go to Hershey Park? Sure. So like that that's why I joined band, honestly, which sounds so hilarious and like how it's become a career. But you know But it tracks. Yeah. It tracks oh, yeah. I mean I was nine. Yeah. Um <laughs> so I did that and you know, I was in band for a bit. It was kinda of more of an extracurricular type thing for a bit. And then some of my friends started a band. Like we had someone pick up guitar, um and our bass player and they wanted to play a band. And I was a percussionist. I hadn't played drum set that much at the time, but I was like I could learn drum set. Why not? That sounds like a fun thing. Um, so did that, you know, had bands all throughout, you know, middle school through high school and then into college and everything. Um, eventually, you know, graduating high school, it came to time where, you know, decide college, decide what you want to do. That thing that we put on 18-year-olds of, what do you want to do for the rest yeah, of your right. life? Let's here sign, you know, hundreds of thousands worth of loans and you know, what do you want to do? <laughs> um and funny enough, so it was really that my parents pushed me, and I'm, I'm grateful they did, but I was the mindset, sorry, I should backtrack a little bit here. Um, I decided I wanted to go for recording because one of my high school bands, like, we hit the point where we wanted to start making music, like, actually, that people consume, not just playing shows. Um, so we tried to record it. It was one of those things where, like, how hard could it be? <laughs> so I tried doing it myself. It was awful, and we eventually hired someone else to do it. But through that process, I still learned that I really enjoyed it. Um, and like, this is a really cool thing. I like that I can get the creativity out. Um, I just fell in love with it. 
So I was like, okay, I, I want to get into mixing and producing and all that. And through some research, I saw like, you know, there's internships and things like that. So my original idea was to just kind of do like maybe a two-year degree at a community college and then try and do internships and stuff. Um, and that can be a viable path too. But my parents were very much the type of like, now you're going to a four-year school. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, uh, you know, angsty teenager. I, I fought that a little bit. And then uh, we started visiting schools and York was just the one that I went to, had the program I was looking for in uh, music industry and recording technology is their degree. It's what I got. Um, but had the degree I was looking for, and it was also one of those things that on the campus, talking to the professors, I just felt comfortable. Mm. Um, and we talked about this earlier before we went on air, but like, you know, we're, we're both introverts. Um, I've definitely learned to talk and be more extroverted, but at the end of the day, I'm an introvert. Um, so that comfortability, that feeling at home was very important to me. And that's what York had over the other schools I looked at. They felt very welcoming. Um, I, I feel like I could fit in. So I went and did that and really that's the thing that opened up so many other doors for me. Um, and I know we'll, we'll talk a lot about networking here and stuff, but one of the things I stress as a, a college professor too um, is that the, the degree you get, that physical piece of paper for this particular field in engineering and recording, if you want to be working in studio and that kind of stuff, um, you're not paying that tuition fee for the piece of paper. You're paying for networking opportunities to hopefully have professors that have a network they can share with you to meet people, to have to build a portfolio, like you'll have access hopefully to equipment um, that you wouldn't otherwise have. Like this room we're in right now is a great example. Yeah. Like people don't have this normally in their house. No. <laughs> but as a student here, you have access to it and you can use it. Um, that's the stuff you're paying for. Those, that's what that tuition dollar is really going towards for you. Um, so, you know, if you're going to school for this kind of stuff, just my, my quick PSA is if you're not networking and you're not taking advantage and building that portfolio while you're in school, that is a grave mistake. Do not do that, <clears throat> please. Um, and, I, and I'd argue that goes for really any kind of job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff like, I guess I'll put it this way of, you know, you can walk into a recording studio and if you're trying to get hired, they're not going to ask for your degree. No. They're going to ask for that portfolio and like, what have you done? What's your work? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. can't do that with nursing. Like nursing, you need a degree. Yeah. Okay. With um, doctors and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Of course. Uh, so there's things where you, you have to have a degree. Trade jobs. I would... uh, you, you don't need a degree for this stuff. It doesn't. Yeah. And now I don't want to say that to the Sparrows College. Like I'm, I'm a professor and it yeah. worked for me very well. Um, but if you're going to pay that money and college is, it's expensive. It is. Um, if you're going to do that, make sure you're actually going in with the right mindset and getting, like, taking advantage of that opportunity. It's something I be in my students head all the time. And, you know, I, I, my younger students are like 18. Um, they don't always get it and it takes a few years before it really clicks, but you know, just do it now because unfortunately it is also an industry where like you have to do some free work sometimes or do stuff very cheap. Like you're not going to be making big bucks right out of the gate. Um, so when would you rather do that when you're in your mid twenties and you've graduated school and now you have rent to pay and mm -hmm. you know, maybe you have significant other, what have you that you have to now like Take care of maybe support. support or help out, um, any of those things you're going to have more responsibilities. Responsibilities yeah. only grow as you get older. Uh, I understand some young people already have a lot of responsibilities depending on their upbringing and their environment. But at the end of the day, it, it only becomes more as you get older. So use that time when you're in college where before you have all those to do that free work. Do it now because you're probably going to have to do it at some point to build that portfolio and get those opportunities. And if you're waiting until after you graduate to do it, well, that's time lost. Not to say you can't do it. And you well, can, and but to say, it's going to be a whole waste of time to do free stuff later yeah. where you uh, can't afford to do free stuff. Mm -hmm. 
college, and this is something I didn't realize. I, I went to college at 17, uh, which is still a child comparatively. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know what I had. And granted, I didn't, I didn't do the, um, the, you know, the stereotypical American college experience of going out and partying and everything. Mm-hmm. This is a, a Bible college. Uh, but even... I didn't take advantage of it. I, I I have colleagues here or uh, professors here that have been on Broadway, that have been uh, that graduated from Peabody, that mm-hmm. know people like high level musicians in in the industry, and I just didn't take advantage of it until after I went to college yeah. and started this podcast. Now I'm starting to take advantage of all this. And is it like I want to disparage anyone? Better late than never. Yeah, better late than never for sure. Um, but you can always do it. Like you know, there's people in their 30s that find us figure out what they want to do in life and they make it yeah, happen. Yeah, that's true. Um, so again, I don't want to be disparaging to those people, but. At the same time, for those of you that this, you think this is what you want to do and you're in school for it now and you're paying tuition, uh, this is your PSA to hopefully get you to take advantage now. Yeah. Because um, you're going to look back. Like, there's still things, even saying this now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I could have done this better. Oh, this, I could have been X further along in my career if I had done this however many years sooner. Hindsight's 2020. Yeah, hindsight's 2020. And that will make you realize, oh, well, in 10 years, I'm going to regret it if I don't start it now. Yeah. So um, get started now. And I'll say I, I was lucky in that I, I had a real drive for this stuff. I knew I wanted to do it. And like I said, my original plan wasn't even to go to school. So when I got there, I was like, I just want to get in and record. Like that was the the itch I had that I needed to scratch. Um, so I found a way to do it. Like I did an internship before um, I was actually allowed to because at York, at least at the time, I don't know if they changed it, you couldn't take an internship for credit until you had 60 credits already. Hmm. Um, I had no patience for that. So I just found a studio that would take me as an intern. I did it basically outside of the college, technically. All this to say is I was hungry for every opportunity. So I naturally gravitate towards doing this stuff. Um, but that being said is if someone had told me what I am saying now, I probably would have taken even more opportunity than what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I don't have regrets necessarily, but you know, again, hindsight being 2020. Just lost chances. Yeah, yeah. I, I could have done more. Uh, but you can always do more too. So yeah. <laughs> can't beat yourself up too hard about that. But There's you know, then I also I have students now that um and I don't want to be again disparaging them either. Like I had a student recently say to me, uh, we're working in a live sound class. Um, and they were very apprehensive about even just touching the console. They're staying in the back. Uh and I'll I'll be frank, like because of how that degree is set up, I get a mixture of students. Some want to be A and R reps. They don't actually want to be in production, but it's a more universal degree than that. So like those people get mixed in in the production classes. So I'm aware of that. I know that some don't have that drive for recording or live sound because that's not realistically what they want to do. Um, and I'll be honest, this student was quiet in the back of the room and I kind of assumed that they were in that camp. And then I finally asked, like, what do you want to do? And they're like, oh, I want to do live sound. Like, what this class is for. I was like, why haven't you come up and, like, you haven't even touched the console? And, like, I'm afraid of making a mistake. Mm. I was like, no, no, no. Make the mistake. I'm not going to lie to you. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah, here is where you need to make mistakes. Exactly. Because what's going to happen is you're going to, like, you're not going to somehow set the console on fire. Like, that would be impressive, honestly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like, what are you going to do? It's going to feed back. Okay. That's fine. How many times have I fed back at a show? Countless. Um, And I learned more and more on how to avoid that because I made the mistake. The most things I know is because I messed it up prior. That's how I learned most things I have. So I had to just tell that student of, like, make the mistake because you're in a classroom right now. This is your opportunity to learn. And, you know, there's really no downside to make a mistake now. You have a professor here who will then tell you, oh, hey, this is what you did wrong. Here's how you do it better. Whereas in the field, unfortunately, it can be a very unforgiving field, especially in live sound, 
because generally the way I put it is, you know, you have a bunch of guys working really hard. They're trying to do 12 hours of work in two hours. Um, it's go, go, go. And it's not anything to take personally. If anyone's worked in live sound, they know how it can be. People can be very terse with you. They can be re- very short. And it seems like they're being mean. Um, never take it personally because that's very rarely the case that they're trying to be mean. It's just, again, a lot of it's pressure. It, it yeah. is work. And again, the way schedules are, as a production manager, I learned that like we are trying to squeeze uh, like a whole day's worth of work in a few hours a lot of time. So there's not a whole lot of room for error. But all that said, that do you want to make the mistake in that environment where someone may just be like, oh, okay, you're in my way. Just, just go. Just go. They won't even tell you necessarily how to fix the mistake, you know. And that will happen too, I'm going to be honest with you. That still happens to me um, when I'm working with people at a higher level than myself. But if you can avoid that and make the mistake while you're in a classroom and have a professor who will literally just take you by the hand and help walk you through it and is not going to reprimand you for it, when would you rather make that mistake if you had the choice? Right, exactly. And that's and that goes for so many college students that are, are so afraid to take advantage of what they have you you literally mm-hmm. paid for that experience you need to take advantage of oh yeah that, that's what you're paying for. that's literally what you're paying yeah. for you're not paying paying there just to be it's not high school mm-hmm. where you're forced to go yeah. you're literally choosing to do this so you better take it doesn't always feel advantage. that way especially sometimes you have parents that you know if, yeah right yeah. right right if you have parents that but you're literally paying for that product mm-hmm. you better uh, you know, I pay for my washing machine. I'm going to get as much as I can out of that washing machine as like, absolutely, as long as I can, right? Yeah. And why money not? Well spent. Yeah. Like money well spent. Yeah. Do the same with college. Make mm-hmm. sure it's money well spent. Uh, I I agree with you. The, the piece of paper means nothing. Yeah. For me, especially for music composition. Oh, great! You went to music composition. What have you done? Mm-hmm. They want to see what have you composed. Yeah. What have you composed? Because I mean, it's the old thing you with college students all the time: is C's get degrees. Yeah. Yeah. You you did get a degree, and you barely passed <laughs> yeah right right so right. You, you barely know the material and you still got that degree um but a studio is never going to ask for your gpa they're never going to ask for the chant the transcript they don't care frankly and don't get me wrong there's some things especially if you're in more corporate side of it like if you want to go and engineer for like marvel which is owned by disney yeah that piece of paper is going to come into more play or if everything else being equal having that on your resume you know if you like you have two people with a great portfolio um, similar experiences, and this one person went to school for it and maybe gathered a little bit more from that, and the other person didn't, maybe that'll give you a leg up. Slight edge. Yeah, and maybe. It really depends, because what else was that person doing instead of being in school? Right. If they were engineering in a big studio or, like, mentoring with, you know, a, a big-name engineer, maybe that's the leg up. I don't Like, mm-hmm. it, it varies it's, there, but. Go to, go and get your experience at college. Yes, that that is the, the core of what I'm saying, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> we want to make it super concise. Sorry, I can be long-winded, but. So, uh, you, we we kind of skipped over your whole entire band phase. Yes, sorry. Let's go. Let's go back into that. Okay. Um, I mean, so much of it is really just like I I like playing in bands. Um, I don't have a whole lot of a resume in that sense of like doing anything super cool. Um, I, I what would you like to know about my bands? I guess. What are some of the some of the what was the genre? I mean, we have some of your songs here. We do. Yes, that's from the current band I'm playing with. Let's talk about that then. Let's talk about uh, Light for Love. Light for Love. Okay. Um, so I can't speak too much of the, the lyricism. I am not the lyricist. I am the drummer. I guess we we'll to be frank about that. Uh, this band is, I'd probably call them like very 90s inspired. Mm. Um, I'm the youngest one in the band by about 10 years. I'm <laughs> noticing a lot of bands nowadays are becoming more and more 90s inspired. Everything's cyclical. 
yeah. in this case, it's that the the main songwriter and those guys like they had their formative years in the nineties, I think, um, or they a lot of their inspirations came from that. Uh, particularly, the the singer and guitarist was uh, the bass and drum tech for the band Live. If anyone knows that. Oh yeah, much. yeah. So um, that's all. That's actually kind of how I found this band. If you want to hear that story, is I was engineering at Live Studio Think Cloud in York. Um, there's some Rolling Stones articles and some drama around that band now. We won't touch on that. But um, basically, they had a studio in New York, Think Loud, beautiful, like multi-million dollar space. Uh, I got to be an assistant on their 717 EP they put out and all that stuff. But all I to say is I got to work there, and um, the, the singer for the band currently involved nothing, Sean, uh, being friends with Chad Taylor, the guitarist, they came in, and they were actually recording an EP. And I was an engineer at the time, like, say, heard me play some drums, just sound checking them, basically. Uh, and shortly after, their drummer left the band. And mm-hmm. it was one of those things of like, he sounded pretty good. Let's <laughs> hit him up. So they hit me up. Um, we jammed a little bit, and it just, you know, it was a good fit. And that's kind of all she wrote is I just stuck with the band. <laughs> Sweet. And did you also mix and master this too? or I did. So I didn't master it. Uh, Dan Mausch, who's based out up North State, um, he's done, like, I think recently he did something with Avenged Sevenfold and stuff. So oh, he's wow. had some decent credits. He, he mastered it. Um, I mixed it. I engineered a good chunk of it. I engineered the uh, guitar, bass. Um, our friend Chris Lozer engineered the vocals, and he actually recorded me on drums as well because I was drumming. I didn't really want to engineer that too. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was kind of a, a mix. You know, We all have our, our say in the songwriting process. The core of it usually comes from uh, our two guitarists. Mm-hmm. Bass player also has written a few parts, um, and then they come in you know, kind of with like the, the bare bones chords, uh, the, the singer-songwriter version of the song, where it's like right. vocals and a guitar, which is the core of any good song. If you can't really strip your song down to that, it, it's don't want to make a blanket statement, so there's exceptions, but a lot of times you don't have much of a song if you can't right. strip it down to those basic melody and harmony, like the chords. Um, so they, that's what comes to the table with us. Start playing on some electrics. Um, usually I write my drum parts, just I hear it, and I just start playing. Um, and then we kind of let it shape and mold from there just over time. And so this is Life for Love. What's the band's name? Volume to Nothing. Volume to Nothing.
And that was Light for Love by what was the band's name again? Volume to Nothing. Volume to Nothing. So you talked you said uh you were engineering a guitar, you were engineering the the vocals. What does that mean? Um it's a very catch-all term. Uh <laughs> So not like, you know, fancy engineering, like, you know, your, your mechanical engineers and guys building stuff, but essentially it's the person working the equipment, if I'm trying to avoid that the most basic thing. Okay. So the one that's actually sitting with the mixing console, your preamps, all your fancy gear, um, those, that's your engineer, the person that's running the session. Um, and that term has also become blurred. Like it used to be when there's more money in the industry, you had like several people that have now become one person. Mm. As in, used to have a dedicated producer, a person that was just the creative drive and produced the song. And their engineer would be a completely different person. Be someone that their job was literally to put microphones on, like, cabinets or microphones on drums, plug them in, turn up the gain, hit record. Literally the chords and tech guy. Yes, it was the very technical side. And the producer would be more of the creative side. Um, Now, generally, those things get a little more conflated. It depends at the higher levels where there's still a bit more money. You may get more dedicated roles still. But a lot of times that is the same person doing that role. Um, and even the term producer, you know, has shifted. It depends on who you ask. Like, you know, I, I'm opinionated here, so I don't want to disparage anyone. I use that word a lot. But, you know, a lot of times people will create a beat and they call themselves a producer. To me, that's a beat maker, not a producer. Unless you're really working with the artist and, like, changing up the arrangement. Then you start getting into production territory if you're just making something like You're a making a track and then selling yeah. it. I, I would argue that's not a producer, but at the end of the day, call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. It really doesn't matter. As yeah. long as people like your product, who cares at the end of the day? Yeah, the points don't matter. Yeah, I, I, I can be elitist <laughs> about stuff I want, but at the end of the day, it's, it's an opinion. What does it really matter at the end of the day? Um, but my point really being there is that a lot of these terms get very, again, blurry um, between you have a tracking engineer, your mix engineer is the person that takes the recorded stuff and then tries to make it sound good together. Um, and then you have a mastering engineer, which mastering is like this weird black magic that no one really understands what it is. Uh, it's, again, a general term for, okay, the mix is done. What are the final steps to make it ready for distribution? That's mm-hmm. mastering. And that can be anywhere from making some final changes to the mix to maybe make it translate across better systems better because a song's not going to sound the same in the studio as it does on your in your car Earphones. On your phone, yeah. Out of your phone. Yeah, all all that stuff, um, it's going to sound different. So sometimes getting that last step, and that's why personally we had Dan Mouch master this one um, because me being, you know, in the band, part of the writing process, we went through pre-production, I engineered a lot of it, and then I mixed it. I was telling you earlier, I I had no objectivity left. I, I had no idea if the changes I were making on these songs were good or bad, lateral moves, I really didn't know anymore because I've heard them so many times. Um, so you can't be objective at that point. So hiring Dan was a basically a means to have another set of ears on it. Um, and I even had him give me some feedback on, there's only one song he actually really gave me notes on, but I was like, hey, if there's anything that I can fix in the mix, let me know because I will make those changes. Because I, I, again, I just couldn't tell anymore. Like it's, you know, you spend all your time and like with the same work, it, it just kind of starts to sound the same and you, you're not sure if it sounds good or bad anymore. It's demo-itis almost, but like on the actual mix. Right. It's uh, it's always fun when you uh, create something and you just forget about it for a little while and then mm-hmm. like, you come back to it and you're like, oh my gosh, what was I doing? Oh, 100%. Um, sometimes the best thing you can do is walk away and come yeah. back. Uh, unfortunately, towards the end of this process, this EP took way too long to make, which 
some people would think would be a good thing. You get to spend a lot of time on it, but it was more so um, we started tracking the songs in like 2021. And we're just getting the songs out now. We're, we're doing more of the, the streaming approach where we're doing it single by single. So Incredible Liar actually is the, the first one that came out. Um, you can listen down Spotify, Apple Music. Um, this one, Life for Love, kind of actually, I just remember, it's got a little bit of a premiere. That one's not actually on streaming yet. Oh, wow. Um, and neither is The Galleon yet. So there's a little bit of a preview here on some stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, sorry, I lose my train of thought a little bit. But basically spent so much time with these songs, it just really made sense to get a mastering engineer in, in that could make some final tweaks to the mix and, you know, sh- basically be a little more objective. Because for them, it's like, first time I'm hearing it, I can make gut decisions on my first impressions. And, you know, hopefully that's, that, that is an improvement. And I think it is, actually. I really like what Dan did with it. So if you're looking for a mastering engineer, I can highly recommend him. So let's actually go into the Galleon. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we'll go into more of the networking, the professor side of things. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the Galleon. Uh, the Galleon... Uh, the most I can say about this one is it is my favorite song to play on drums. Uh, I come from a very metal background, and this is the one where I get to use some double kick on, and it's a little heavier, so it's more what I'm used to. Um, it's a very try to keep the song pretty raw in the sense of it's a little messy, a little loose with time, but like I think in a way that really works for it. That's awesome. Well, this is the Galleon by Volume to Nothing. Mm-hmm. Come on. 
that was The Galleon by Vaughn's Nothing. Vaughn's Nothing. So, what a, what it's a long outro. It's going to here for a little bit here. Pull <laughs> that tie down. So, uh, just to explain that, this song bleeds into the next one, so that feedback continues, see, and then much. the next song kicks in. Very but much. Yeah. I, very, I, I love songs that do that, like mm-hmm. uh, Green Green Days, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, and yep. Ho- Holiday, or is it, it's Holiday in a Boulevard of Broken Dreams, I think it is. Yep, uh, same thing, I think it's St. Jimmy and So We Are the Waiting. Oh, really? that, there's a few songs on that album that do that. That, I love yeah. that, that's so much fun. And uh, just because you brought it up, I got a comment, that is, so A, um, talking about the musician side of stuff, that is the album I learned to play drums to. Really? that would come out 2004-ish, which yeah, that was around the time I really started getting into the drum set. So I said, started band nine. Oh, been 10 in 2004. So yeah, it was around when that album came out. I was probably a little late to hearing the album. Um, also being a 10-year-old hearing that album. You know, a few expletives on there and stuff. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Point right. advisory sticker. Um, but I actually want to play drums to that one. And then also another note on that album is like, I think that is almost a masterclass in a modern concept album because it still stands up as individual songs. You do not have to listen mm. to it front to back. And in a streaming world, and this was still before streaming, um, you kind of need that because people don't listen to albums front to back anymore. You're not putting a vinyl record on a turntable and listening to the whole thing. You're not even putting a CD in a car and listening to the whole thing. You're, you're on Spotify and you're listening to one song from one artist and the next artist and it's, it's all over the place. Um, but that album also does hold up very well as telling a story. Um, you know, they have the Broadway play now, so that's pretty common knowledge, I think, that it's a concept album. But a lot of people when it came out did not know that at all. They didn't realize that St. Jimmy was a character or Jesus Suburbia as a character and all that stuff in this concept album, basically. Really? Yeah. I haven't listened to the whole album. And uh oh, you might have to. It's, yeah, it's I might have cool. to. Yeah. yeah. If you're into that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's that's one thing I've realized that I haven't. I have uh, grown up in the single world, and mm-hmm. I haven't ever dived into an album uh, ever. Yeah. Even though I, I I've been told repeatedly that I should. But I guess to have the point home, you've been able to listen to some of those songs, and they still stand up perfectly fine yeah. on their own. They don't yeah. feel like they're missing something or part of the story, which is something trap older concept albums can fall into. But those albums generally came from era where you were listening to it on vinyl. And that's how the recording medium has changed so much is like you, who's putting on a vinyl record and picking out song three. They're not. <laughs> they're playing from the start and listening through. <laughs> like you're not trying to fi- put the needle down and find the right spot. Like That'd be impressive. It would be, honestly. It'd be um, a talent. It'd probably also find a way to wreck your records pretty quick there, too, if you weren't careful. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's a party trick. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I mean, I could go on a whole tangent there with the loudness wars and all that stuff. There's some interesting concepts, but, uh, unless you want to hear about it, I won't bore your listeners. We'll have to do another podcast on yeah. that. Cause I don't know about that at all. That's the professor, the music production professor me is coming out a little bit there, but. Oh, let's dive more deep into that. Uh, okay. Talking about musicianship as a, as a professional musician, what that looks like. Uh, how do students become professional musicians, professional mixers? What goes into that? Mm-hmm. What are some of the biggest struggles that your students have in this day and age? Um, like so many things, the hardest thing is getting started. Mm. Excuse me. Um, so we talked about building a network and things like that. And that is, you know, I'm, I'm going to answer your question. But I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. But something sure. we talked about earlier with networking. Um, so many students think networking, they, they hear the term networking and they think it's, it's a buzzword. They think, okay, that's something I got to do. And they can tell you, oh, networking is what you have to do. Your network is your net worth, all that fun stuff. Um, but they don't really understand what networking is. They think they go to a conference like Launch or Roots and Blues or something like that, and they start handing out business cards and resumes, or they just start emailing as many people as they can with that kind of stuff and that they're going to get hired for. Uh, 
that's not how this industry in particular generally works. You may get some bites that way. It, it can work, but you're playing a numbers game. You're going to send out, <clears throat> sorry, like 100 business cards, and you may have one person show moderate interest. Um, how you build these connections is through relationships. It is a relationship-based industry. And I mean organic, real relationships. Um, I've had much more success at conferences after someone's panel, you know, finding them hanging out at the bar or somewhere else after after the, everything's done and offering to buy them a drink. Um, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, that sounds great or something. You get them a drink. And sometimes that's where it ends. Sometimes they have no interest in talking after that point or in that conversation. But, you know, that's a face they might remember. You show up, you meet them again, and you just keep showing up. And eventually they're like, hey, didn't I see you? Didn't you buy me that drink at a mm-hmm. launch? Yeah, how you doing? Like, you know, exciting to talk to you. Like, usually that's how it goes. Um, and sometimes you'll buy them that drink and they actually will want to engage and have a conversation. And even that being said, that conversation may have nothing to do about work. You know, maybe they're a mix engineer, for example. They may not want to talk about mixing. Maybe they mix one of your favorite albums um, and you may want them to talk about that, but they may not want to. Uh, you may have more success talking about their dog because they have a Bernice at home that they just love to death and they're a dog person. But you ingratiate yourself more to that person and you start building that relationship. Um, this also says that you're playing the long game with these relationships. You may meet that person and it, you may end up getting work from them or working with them, and it, but it might not be for five years, mm-hmm. more than that. Um, anecdotally, I can say that's how my career has been of, you know, I, I went to your college. I was the student. The reason I got opportunities is because I was a student that kept showing up. I was hungry. I, anytime there was something to do, I stepped up and I tried to do it. So through that, I had a professor, Sean Young, shout out to Dr. Young, um, who's still a professor there. He does a great job. Um, has actually been a huge benefit to that program as well. So I definitely want to give him a lot of credit here and a lot of credit for helping me make connections because essentially what happened was he introduced me to Chad Taylor, who was the guitarist alive. Uh, Chad, you know, this was alive right before they got back together with their singer um, and their being based in York were kind of like, I guess, more trying to be a part of the community at the time. Um, and they were actually coming over to the college and building that connection and he was like kind of working with the school's rock band and things like that. So because of that, I got to meet Chad. And I explicitly say meet, not work for, not anything like that. I got to meet him. And I, again, because uh, Sean was so nice, he kept inviting me to these things to be able to meet Chad and show my face more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where, you know, like once I was 21, I was a senior and all that stuff, uh, Chad did a panel and then we went out and like got a beer afterwards. And it's only me just sitting there kind of having a conversation, but I was just a face there almost. But I did that enough and, you know, Sean sung my praises to him enough um, that... We had the signed artist for YMG that uh, basically Chad heard. It was this band Port Ellis. I don't know if they're active anymore, but shout out to them. Uh, great local band. But they, Chad heard their music and really wanted to produce them. And I was the student that got to go along and kind of hang out for that. And I got to do a little bit of engineering, just a little bit, not much. Um, and all this grew into the point that eventually Chad was like, okay, I want to open the studio commercially. Because at that point, Think Loud was like a private studio the band had and friends of the band. And I was one of three people that he called up for this opportunity, and I got to work in this studio. Um, this is also how I got to meet uh, producers uh, Carson Slovak and Grant McFarland. So anyone, they're, they're rock metal producers, so if you know the band August Burns Red, um, they also did an Everclear record. They are in the band Galactic Empire, which is like the Star Wars metal tribute band, if you're familiar. I do know that one. Um, so, you know, they've had some work, but I got to meet them through that because they, Carson grew up next door to Chad. He knew him. They were looking for a new studio spot and they came and worked out of Think Lab for a little bit. So the long, the, the, the short way of explaining all this is all these relationships happened organically. I never sent out a resume to these people. I never sent out a business card to these people. I just showed up and then I got to meet them. 
and work with them a little bit. And over time, I earned their trust just by showing up and doing good work wherever I could. Um, and that's so much of how this networking happens. And all this to say, going back to the original point of how do the students get started, it's a long, frustrating process. Um, and it is just take every opportunity you can because you don't know what is the opportunity where you're going to see that person that may end up being that opportunity later down the line. Um, or you may have to meet them several times. Another great example I have is Jeremy Weiss. He's another uh, local entrepreneur, uh, owns CI Records. He's signed bands. He's been a tour manager. Um, he's one I got to work with through launch. Also through the college, I got to show up. Our college uh, sponsors a stage at launch, launch every single year. Um, so I've got to go there, run sound, and I like had very brief conversation. I knew Jeremy, but we didn't know each other well. Right. And then what had happened was at HMAC, a venue up in Harrisburg, Jeremy was the talent buyer. And basically their production manager was leaving. And again, actually, thanks to Sean. Sean mentioned my name and Jeremy's like, oh, yeah, I know Dan. He's, he's great. Yeah, let, let's see if he'll be a good fit. Uh, and then I went and I got the job basically on a interview that was almost a formality, honestly. Um, and then I became a production manager, like kind of overnight almost. Well, the thing I set out to do, it just organically kind of happened that way. Um, I've since left that job, but I'm still in very good terms with Jeremy. We still talk fairly regularly. Um, I just did an event for like kind of launch productions, more of a global thing for him down in D.C. Um, I production match Christmas Burns Red, which, you know, got my nice little <clears throat> Yeti that Jeremy gifted me. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, so I got to production match that show with the band August Burns Red as the headliner. Uh, all these opportunities, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be self-aggrandizing here, but the point I'm trying to make is that it all just happened from showing up, having some drive and motivation to be in the room and want to do good work and being consistent about it. Yeah, no, I, I can echo that for sure. Uh, students don't realize the the uh, the long-term game that this is. Mm -hmm. uh, networking isn't a short-term thing. It's a very much long-term. You you, you'll probably show up to many places without anybody knowing you or recognizing you or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you have to go multiple times, multiple times. And this is why we, we were talking a little bit as an introvert, how this can be hard for some people. Oh, it's, it's tricky, yeah. To uh, push themselves out into these areas because I know <clears throat> I, I was lucky because I have a platform that I that's mutually beneficial to meet people with. Mm -hmm. uh, I reach out to people, hey, I run this podcast. Would you be interested in blah, blah, blah. Uh, if I didn't have this podcast, I'd, I, it'd be a hard press for me to reach out to someone to just talk to them. Yeah. So you have to go out there, find them where they are, and then just talk to them after the show or or uh, catch them when they're out in the bar or whatever, like you said, mm -hmm. and talk to them that way. Uh, one of the things I've been really been, uh, doing well at is uh, after I meet someone or I see, I see someone, there's a band. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's a band that's cool. Maybe I want them to have them on my podcast. What I'll do is I'll go to one of their shows, and uh, I'll tell them, "Hey, I'm I run this podcast. I'd love to see you at your show." Blah 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 blah. And then that's a precursor to them. Okay, he's going to come to our show. We actually know somewhat who he is, so we can expect that exchange afterwards, right? And then you you go to the show. You first off, that proves that you're making good on your word mm -hmm. because that's that's a that's a big red flag for. Oh yeah, follow through. Always follow, follow through. through, and. Under promise and over deliver is another good. Point. Absolutely, yeah, and, that, and that's kind of what what I do is I, I under under promise and I over deliver because mm -hmm. I know that's that's the kind of uh, social social engineering yeah. aspect of networking is to make sure to do, put your 
give yourself enough advantage to make make yourself a, a, a worthy net worth, mm-hmm. net, net, uh, worthy network. Yes. Um, and and do it that way. I've gained a lot of my uh, a lot of great guests through that, mm-hmm. just by and simply by just reaching out as yep. well. And uh, granted, showing up in person is the best way to do so. But even just a shot over messenger, like I did to you, or mm-hmm. or did to so many other other of my guests, it's like hey. I I heard you from this and this person. Would you be interested in going out somewhere or yeah. talking, whatever? And I mentioned this to you before, but you know, for the sake of your listeners, um, another thing that that you're doing great that your platform provides you is you get people to just talk about themselves. Yes. And people love. I mean, you can tell right now I'm long winded. People love to talk about themselves. Um, so I guess that's another point I should make too. When you're networking for these students that aren't sure how to start that, when you go and buy that beer or whatever example you want to use, um. Don't talk their ear off. Let them talk. Be mm-hmm. engaged. Like if you're just like, mm-hmm, yeah, they may start to get weirded out because it feels like you're not really engaged in the conversation at all. Like just repeat back a few things they say. Maybe give a few anecdotal things yourself, but keep it to a minimum. I think you said like 80-20 before, which is a good principle. You do 20% of talking, let them do the other 80%. Um, and this podcast for you, for example, is like the perfect medium for that because that is the point. That's I get point. to talk <laughs> about myself because this yeah. is supposed to be, you know, my, is... my episode of your podcast yep. basically. Um, so I get to be in the spotlight. I get to keep talking and, you know, don't have to feel weird about it. Like I'm punishing someone, but you know, for outside of this kind of situation, if you're networking at a conference or something, that, that's well. how you got to do it. Just let them talk. Even if it's about their dog, let them talk about their dog. Yeah. Let them talk about their cute kid. Who cares? Cause they're going to, you're going to remember you as the guy that they talked to their dog about. Mm-hmm. And then that gives you a personal connection with not even yeah. just like a work connection. That gives you like a personal yeah. connection. You can go back up, go back up to them and say, Oh, how's your dog doing? Oh, how's your kid? Mm-hmm. Or, afterwards and they'll, oh, yeah. they'll remember oh yeah that's the guy that I had the beer with at this place and and, and that's that's a great way too of like if you they tell you their dog's name or like the kid's name next time you see him be like oh how's uh how's spot doing like just saying that will be like oh you actually remember my dogs like that's awesome yeah it, it's such a simple little thing but it means so much to people and i i also want to point out here too is i'm like mentioning these tricks these have to be genuine as well. They do. You can't do this can't in a manipulating kind of way. Um, you know, a, a book that, it's kind of a classic, it's a little dated, and I hate the name of it because it sounds so manipulative, but it does have a lot of core concepts that are true, is the old uh, Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're into self-help kind of things, people already know it. Um, and Some people will kind of cringe a little bit when they meet, hear me talk about that because it is one of those things that some, you know, business bros will talk about but they the thing is when they talk about they're missing the core concept that it's not about being manipulative it's about genuine connection and that is the point and if you're missing that then you're, you're missing the point the concept isn't just to uh forcefully remember everything it's 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 a way of life it's a lifestyle yes it should be automatic it should be generic it shouldn't mm-hmm. be something you are forced to do granted when i first started it yeah i had to write notes just to be sure that i, I remember oh, it's that's you okay you have to train that mindset yeah, yeah. if you're especially not used to thinking that way, but um, you have to be genuine about it because, you know, people can sniff out when you're not being genuine pretty quick these days. Um, and you're not going to win any friends that way. No. So you really got to genuinely care. Like when you're asking about spot, care. Mm-hmm. And like you have to mean it because otherwise they'll be like, oh, that's weird. Like what, what kind of game are they trying to play with me if they get the sense that you're not being sincere? Yeah, and it's as simple as like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, uh, how's your spot doing? Mm-hmm. It's, it's talking about it like that as opposed to uh, just walking up to him and how's spot doing? Like, yeah. yeah. That's like, that's a little, yeah. it's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's, you have to be, in a way, a people person. And we, yeah. you mentioned being an introvert. I too am an introvert. Um, what that means is if you are an introvert, 
that doesn't mean that like you can't talk to people. You can still learn to be social. Really, just being introvert means that I don't get my energy from that. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna talk my you know, talk ear off here. I'm gonna be you know social, and then I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna sit down and watch TV and like turn my phone off and not talk to anyone. And that's how I recharge. The difference is extroverted people get energy from this. Yes, that's really the only difference. So that says if you are introverted and you feel like you can't do these things because of it, um, I think you're selling yourself short. And you probably you can probably learn to do this and become a little more social. So, with uh, all your teaching and everything else that you have, we, well, we kind of covered these questions already, but I was wondering, what is something that you know now that you wish you had known when you first started? Um, it's weird because there's probably so many answers to that question, but it's like when someone asks, what's your favorite album ever? I just, my, <laughs> brain, my brain goes blank of like, there's almost too many options. I can't pick one. Um, topical, because what we're just talking about is honestly that kind of networking. I wish I learned the more social aspect earlier. Because um, while I was the person that showed up for these opportunities, I was always very awkward and didn't know how to like have those conversations. Um, I feel like I'm still learning that to a degree for sure, but I've gotten better at it. I wish I had pushed myself out of my comfort zone a little bit sooner on that front. So here's a question. How do you push your students out of their comfort zones? Um, start by showing up to the events. That is the first and foremost. Uh, the other one is you just have to practice it. There's not really the silver bullet answer where it'd be like, you do this and you'll be great at it. You just have to do it. And I know that feels like a cop-out answer, but it's, it's the most so honest true. one I can give you. I I was procrastinating on this podcast for so long until someone mm-hmm. uh, figuratively slapped me in the face and just said, God, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. You can't worry. I'm such a visionary. Yeah. Uh, people who know me from... Uh, just being interaction. They know I'm a visionary. They know I'm a big plan kind of guy. But you have to be able to put that plan on the paper at some point and say, okay, this is actually what we're doing and we're going to do it. And that's scary. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to do it. And you don't know what's going to... I don't know. I didn't know what I'm doing when I started this. The first episode, I'm pretty sure the first line is like, uh, are we are we on? Which is kind of aptly for a musician podcast, oh, yeah. isn't it? Check, check, one, two, three, over, over here. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but it, the, the first way to get better at something is just to start doing it. Yeah. And you can work out the kinks as you go along. I didn't have a good camera. I granted, I started off really well with the studio, but mm-hmm. you don't have to start. You can do, everyone has a phone. Everyone has, yeah. has a whatever. Honestly, iPhone cameras are great these days. They are really great. You can start going out and, uh, if you want to make an impression, take a photo of the band at them on your story and that's a great way to get into their dms and say mm-hmm. oh this person was there and then and then you can make that connection that way yeah it's super easy to make connections with with bands with artists with uh sound with with venues just by doing that mm-hmm. I, I guess the, the point you bring up too is that i feel like i gave this example earlier when we were just talking off the air but um people procrastinate in Ways that feel productive but aren't really moving the needle. Yes. Like, again, the example I used earlier is um, I know people who have spent dozens of hours developing their business card and making this beautiful business card. But, like, what is that realistically doing to execute your ideas? Is that real follow-through or is that you procrastinating going out and actually doing the thing you say you want to do because you're scared? Um, most of the time, that, that it's the latter. It's that. It's not really moving the needle in any way, and you got to be careful about that. Right. So You can overplan. Yeah, you absolutely you can. So you got to make sure that you are actually, yeah, you can spend hours 
developing your uh, business card, but when are you actually going to go out there and meet people to exactly. maybe give that business card to? Mm-hmm. Or, and we talked about this, how business cards are becoming obsolete. Yeah. Or even, so a more modern thing, but still just as true is, and I'm guilty of this, like mix engineers. You want to have a website that clients can go to into your portfolio. That's great, and you should have one. Um, but I know people, and again, I've done this myself, I probably still do this some days, where I'll go and I'll spend hours changing up things in my website or like messing with a font on my headline. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. People don't care. Um, that's not realistically going to get me more work. My website for mixing is just to get people to hear work to see maybe if they're interested in working with me and hearing my portfolio. Now I'll say, personally, if anyone goes, does go check my website, my mixes are out of date. I need to update them. Um, so maybe I do need to go back to that website briefly, but that's like I should go set two hours aside and update that. That's not I'm going to go spend a whole day working on that. Yeah, and especially websites for like bands or whatever, it, make sure your website looks like it's readable. Yes. Yeah, make sure it's decent. It looks like it's modern, not like it was made on like Windows 95 or something. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and there's there's a great uh, free programs like Wix, uh, not free, but Wix or like Squarespace. Wix is great. Yeah, Squarespace, a little price, more price than Wix, but still, I mean, it's a lot cheaper than hiring a website designer and you can still get a pretty solid product, at least for this kind of stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, and, uh, and this is a plug for my website, if you check out <laughs> quietrosenproductions.com, you can see uh, the website, I have it up here. It's nice. It's it's readable. It's 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 very nav- mm-hmm. navigable. It's super easy to make. It, I did this all by myself. I didn't have to like hire anybody. It's not that hard to do, it, but it's instrumental, and it doesn't take that long. I didn't take very long to just design this. Yeah, It's very much just, a, oh, what do I need? What do I have to have? Let's put it all in there. And honestly, even if your website feels like it's 80% there, but you're not launching your business or your project because it's not 100% there, who cares? Yeah. Just launch it, do the project, start trying to get the work. You can do that last 20% later. That's fine. Yeah, that's exactly what I did with this podcast. Was mm-hmm. I, I didn't have all the web. I didn't have the website to do. I didn't have anything. I, I still I want to make this into a nonprofit. I still ha- don't have that yet, but who cares? Just do it first. Just start doing it. Yeah. Start doing it. You can figure that stuff out later. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be hundred percent done and it, like anyway. Yeah. And this also goes back to my anecdote about the student that's afraid to make mistakes. Um a lot of times people procrastinate because they're afraid of that mistake. Look, face it, you're gonna fail. You are going to make mistakes. That is a part of life. Do it, make the mistake now instead of making it later. Just because you'll learn from it. Every everything I know is because I messed it up at some point. Yeah, and especially if you're young, I've gotten so many breaks because I'm young. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. This is my first time doing a movie, or this is my first time doing a mobile set. Well, uh, f- great example. I went to Daryl Davis. I don't know if you've ever heard of Daryl Davis, but he he was a he was a piano player for Chuck Berry. He's, okay. he's, he's known around for playing with Bruce Springsteen. He's also got a, a ludicrous side uh, career of converting KKK members into normal people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> just a side career so. <laughs> as a black person by the way too so, okay so incredible human being but i so i went down to his he invited me to his house to record an episode with him and guess what i forget i forget the power cords my mac <laughs> such a simple thing <laughs> such but yeah. a simple thing but but it's it, not that it can put you down in water for a second it, it can put you down in the water but it, it's a mistake that i made and granted he had his own mac that he let me use so i cool. can so we can so we can still do it but it's stuff like that like you're going to make those mistakes. And, and once you make those mistakes, you can count on yourself to never make those again. Oh, yeah. I mean, embarrassment sucks. Failing sucks. But, like... What a motivation. Oh, yeah. Motivation. It motivates you. Um, and it'll be a sticking point. Like, 
there's a reason why, you know, maybe it's just me. I feel like people can relate to this now, but I'll be singing in bed at night and I'll just remember that random embarrassing oh, yeah. thing from 10 years ago. And no one else remembers cringe. Those? Oh, and yeah, no one else is going to think about that. No one else cares. I, I like I sit there like 10 years ago, like, oh my God, this person doesn't like me because this happened 10 years ago. Person I haven't spoken to in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. um, like it really matters to begin with. And the truth is they don't remember. Like I, I just, you know, if you're ever feeling that way, it's so simple, but just think, how many embarrassing situations do you remember other people being in that you were witness to? Mm. Probably very little, honestly. So when you're thinking about those embarrassing situations for you, that's probably how other people, I don't even say they, because they don't remember it. That's, yeah. that's what it is to them. It's just, maybe someone brought it up, they'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that time that Johnny, you know, slipped and fell and I don't know, I think of <laughs> right, well, yeah. a good embarrassing situation, but. Like, odds are they don't remember it, especially yeah. if it wasn't a particularly memorable moment for them either. So. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a reason our brains react to embarrassment. It's memorable for us, not for the people. Exactly. That's exactly um, right. Yeah. So speaking of embarrassing uh, times, what is one of the most funny or worst things that ever happened to you as a, as a production manager or a musician? Um, or sound engineer? Here's a, a good go-to I've used. It's a, it's a while ago, but it's still one that haunts my dreams. I have a cold <laughs> sweats in the middle of the night. Um, so when I was in high school, you know, if any metal fans out there, my high school band got the opportunity to open for Summer Slaughter, which is just a big metal festival, basically. Um, so, you know, uh, Contortionist, Periphery, Vale of Meyer, there's a few bands that, at the time, they weren't huge, but they, you know, again, if you're in the metal, you probably know those names. Um, so we got to open for them. Great show. It was at the Trocadero in Philly, which I think is actually maybe reopening. It was a great spot that closed a few years back. Um, but tiny stage. It's not a huge club. I'll guess from 10 years ago, memory, maybe at like a 500 cap, 500 people that could fit in there with like the balcony area. Um, so tinier stage and these, it's a festival style thing. So it's probably eight or nine bands. And how festivals run is you have cabinets basically you backline every band so the headliners skiers in the back and you just put everything in front of that for each band as they go forward so as the opener we literally had maybe five feet of space to work and i was at my drum kit between two full stack amps which are pretty tall um the, where this comes to the story is the fact that because we're a local band we hadn't played any really big shows at the point at that point um you know we're also in high school we try to get all our friends out to it. all the people want to come see us but high school kids most of them couldn't drive so like my bandmates had to go out and pick people up all this to say is um, we got to the point where we were supposed to sound check, and it was only me and my bass player there. Um, there was no one else there. And we set it up. We, we made it work, but we didn't get a real full sound check. So, okay, fine. All right. Like the, of course, the you know, venue staff's already frustrated with us. The tour, like, you know, it wasn't a good look for us, unfortunately. But we were young. We learned from it. Um, but the most embarrassing part of it was that, aside from just not being most professional we could have been for a, a pretty big opportunity at the time for us, um, because we didn't get that sound check, I never got really to dial in a monitor mix. Mm. Um, so what I need to hear, for those of you who don't know, monitors are the speakers on stage that point at the performers so that they can hear what they need to hear from their bandmates to be able to play. Um, and also because we're so backlined with all the other gear, the guitar amps are well in front of me. So I don't even have the actual amps next oh, to wow. me. Uh, basically what happened is there was nothing in my monitors at the end of the day. And the monitor engineer typically sits side stage. So they'll be off stage to the side. And I'm, again, I'm between two half stacks. So I have no line of sight to this guy. So I can't even wave at him and be like, turn this up. Um, and the first song we play starts with just guitar. At this point, again, I, we only played small little clubs at this point where I didn't really ever need monitors because it was that tiny of a stage and I was right next to the guitar amps anyway. Um, 
So I didn't really even think about it until my guitarist starts playing and I can't hear him play. Like, I'm like, are we starting it? I look over and his hands are moving. I'm like, oh, that ain't good. <laughs> I had no idea where he was and I had to come in at a certain point. I was kind of able just because of how his hand was moving. I could see on the back of the neck of like, I'm going to take a guess here based I on where he's at. Remember. I'm like, okay, I come in on the lower court. So when he goes down, okay. Um, <laughs> and I came in and I was not on time, but my bandmates kind of adjusted. And then it became a show where I just had to play. I just played Blind, basically. Yeah. And I was like, you guys have to follow me. I, there's no other option here. Cause you can hear me at least. Um, so that was just a day that should have been so cool and so fun. At the end of it, we were all just like heads down ashamed <sighs> because we did not handle the situation as professionals. And again, we were high school kids. We were not professionals at the end yeah. of the day. We learned from it. But at the same time, we were high school kids with an ego that were like, yeah, like inviting all our friends and everyone like, yeah, we're playing Summer Slaughter. Like, you know, we're hot shots. Um, and, you know, we kind of looked like, you know, fools at the end of the day there <laughs> a little bit. Um, and it's just one of those things. I still have weird nightmares that I'm playing a show and that kind of stuff happens. Even though now I use in-ear monitors, which if you're a drummer, especially if you want it's to save your ears, please use needed. ears. Yeah, use shows are too ears. loud. As a production manager, shows are too loud. I'll be upfront about it. And you know why they're too loud? It's because nobody uses ear protection when they're. There's that. Oh, the worst thing is whenever when I was uh, working at HMAC, we'd get some of the um, older bands in, the more like legacy acts that have their front of house engineers that have been touring since the 70s. Every single one of them, because what goes first is the high end. It's the higher frequencies right, that you yes. hear is what genuinely you lose first. Every single one of those bands had the brightest, most like ear-piercingly bright-sounding mixes because all those guys lost. They couldn't hear any high frequencies, so they just cranked it on the board so they could hear it, which meant for anyone that had closer to normal hearing, um, it was just painful, deafening. painful. But they, that was a very seeing that in person was a very cautionary tale of like, I gotta protect my hearing. I don't want to be that. No, I don't want to be that when you grow older. Well, hey, where can people find you at? Um. So, I mean, as far as websites, uh, my Instagram handle is just willdrumforcash9. Uh, yeah, it's an old one I've had forever. I should probably change it, but that's my Instagram handle right now. Uh, my website is danmeyerproductions.com. I do need to update portfolio. Um, besides that, I mean, I work out of several studios. Uh, your college, I have clients in there. Um, I work out of Atrium Audio a little bit over in Lidditz. Uh, so my hands a lot of stuff. I mean, really, the thing I want to drive home, or my, my plug here is um, I want to work with your band. I want to do more mixing projects. I've done a lot of production managing other things and worn a lot of hats, and I'm kind of at the point where I want to steer more into that. So if you like what I have to say and think we could hang out and have fun in a recording session or something, hit me up. I definitely think we're going to have fun with recording sessions. As we start off this collaborative songwriting mm -hmm. thing I want to do, because we need, we need, I don't, this is studio is only good for workshopping. We need places mm -hmm. to record. So, we will definitely be looking to reach out to you. And if you guys out there have any recording studios, because the whole idea of this this new project that we're starting is collaborative songwriting. And I'll, by the end of this year, I want to be able to have like some, like an EP or an album to share with everybody. Because I think that'd be really cool of having an, excuse me, an album full of all local artists. And it'd be really cool if they were produced and are mixed in different studios too. Because mm -hmm. everyone has their, their little input to put on the mix or whatever. Oh, yeah. So... If you I'll, I'll plug uh, York College has a studio that's open to the public. Uh, Triforce Pro Audio out in mm -hmm. Lancaster, Atrium Audio. Um, so many great studios in the area, honestly. Yeah. And we're going to take advantage of them all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
So be I sure. work at several of them, so please do. Yeah. So if you are a musician that's interested in, in collaborative songwriting or if you have well, just enjoyed this episode, you can go over to our website, CoryRosenProductions.com. That's C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N Productions.com. You can find out more about me, my, my own projects, and this podcast full of 130-some guests before me and a lot of guests after. This week on Friday, we have Dustin LeBlanc. He is a production a managing director over at West Shore Theater. He also run, he's also uh, done artistic directing for many, many theaters and uh, uh, production companies over in Harrisburg, I think it is. But um, I'm really excited to talk to him. It's the first theater guy that I've had on in a while, so I'm excited to get back into that, into the theater show world. And this Saturday, our interview with Night Owl Country Band, a band out of Indiana that run uh, the Who's Who Award. And it's just kind of a funny uh, world uh, wordplay there because it's who as in like an owl and then a who's <laughs> who, right? And, uh, love puns. Lo- love puns. And they're uh, off branch of the ISSA, uh, which is the International Singer Songwriter Association okay. Awards. So I've, it was a really great interview with them. And then next Monday, we have J.C. Fetlock, who has been a local artist in here for uh, a while now. So I'm really excited to talk to them. And we have a lot of other guests that you'll just have to find out mm-hmm. next time. Oh, I'm sorry. If I can do one more plug. Oh, sure. Uh, Volume to Nothing is playing, opening up for the Black Moods on March 30th at Love Drafts in Mechanicsburg. So it should be a cool show if you can make it out to that one, too. That's a rough day. You know why? Why is that? Because that's also the uh, CPMA Awards. Oh, it is. You're right. Yeah. That's well, a rough night. If you want to go, I don't know. If you don't feel like singing through awards. <laughs> <laughs> if you more want to mosh and crowds ever do that stuff, come to our show. Mosh and crowds, that sounds like a good yeah. time. Well, I hope you guys have had a... If you like the show, please be sure to like, follow, comment, share the page. It really does help us out. And we really want to expand and do greater things for the musicians in Central PA. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day, and we will see you guys later. Bye.